Hello and welcome to TLF Gems, a podcast from TLF Research about customer experience and insight. I'm Stephen Hampshire. And I'm Greg Roche. This time we're discussing chapter nine of the book Customer Satisfaction um, and this one's about the questionnaire. Yes, the questionnaire. And I actually think this is an absolutely fundamental. I, I always think of the questionnaire. It's a little bit like the surgeon's knife. You know, you can have the most willing patient, the most knowledgeable surgeon, but the questionnaire is the instrument, the tool that you use to sort of get from A to B. And I can remember once having a conversation with someone who said, if you've just got a little bit of money to spend on a consultant or someone to help you, the most important mm. thing will be to make sure your questionnaire's right. Because if your questionnaire isn't right, everything that comes after it can have problems in it. Absolutely. And, and funnily enough, that, that kind of anticipates something I was going to say a, a little bit later on, um, which is, in some ways, I think, the, this chapter and the next chapter are sorted the wrong way around. The next chapter, the one we'll discuss next month, is is about the basic analysis you're going to do for the survey. And really, you need to have decided that before you design the questionnaire. Yeah, you need to know what questions you're going to ask before you... <laughs> yes. Which I think um, comes back to your point, really. Like the, the questionnaire is the the root of everything, really. If, if you have a, you know, a, a good quality questionnaire, then you'll be able to do good quality analysis and reach... You know, interesting and important conclusions. I wouldn't say it's more important than getting the sampling right, but it's certainly as important. You know, it's, it's asking the right questions um, once you've got hold of the right people. Uh, and, and the questionnaire also has a role to play in terms of getting response rates up and, and that sort of thing as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, at a really sort of high level, you know, good research, asking the right questions to the right people in the right way. And um, you know, sampling is asking the right people, the decision-making unit. Um, in terms of asking the right questions, obviously a lot of that's come from the exploratory. So mm. we're making sure we're asking the requirements that are most important to customers, not necessarily the things that you are important that you think are important to customers. And I think the questionnaire is the one that says, "I'm asking them in the right mm. way." So I think we'll touch a little bit on some of the perhaps the common questionnaire flaws a little bit, you know, later on. But in terms of your typical customer satisfaction measurement questionnaire, that's predominantly built up from the exploratory research. Yeah, and I think I've highlighted actually the first sentence in the book, which I think is um, it's sort of a little bit counterintuitive, but but absolutely true. It says by the time the questionnaire design stage is reached, much of its content will already be determined, and I sort of read that and thought, really? Oh, that, that sounds terrible. Like senior managers have decided what we're going to be asking about. <laughs> but of course, what it's talking about is the exploratory research. Oh. Uh, and that is, that's absolutely why that kind of lens of the customer qualitative research first uh, process that, oh. that we advocate actually removes a lot of the hard work um, of, of debates around wording and so on because customers have told you about that. Yeah, I, I, you know, absolutely. I mean, definitely questionnaire designed by committee is completely the wrong way to go. <laughs> Getting the correct questionnaire approval is a good thing to do. But if the exploratory research has been done correctly, really, sort of two-thirds, three-quarters of that questionnaire, you already know what you're going to ask mm -hmm. about, assuming you're going to ask about satisfaction and importance. So there's probably then only a third of the questionnaire that's sort of open to 
debate, which we'll look at uh, you know a, a little bit later in terms of sort of how you use that bit um, effectively. But if you've done good exploratory research, you know what requirements are most important to your customers. They should be the ones that are on your questionnaire. Absolutely, and. I'm going to read another sentence that I've highlighted because it, I liked it even more. Yeah, actually, you're trying to prove you can read. Thing. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, over the page it says it is not necessary or even desirable to consult other staff in the organisation to find out what they would like to see on the questionnaire. Yes. Yeah. I suppose well, the hesitation in my voice then is you don't want to be altering customers' requirements, but I. Find it a useful technique that if you want to get certain people engaged in the survey, there's it's a good opportunity because we're asking customers things, and it might be to get some people on board. You really want to understand what they want to get out of it, or perhaps even have a specific question on something else in the questionnaire. You know whether they've seen the latest advert, mm. or you're thinking of doing something in the business, changing the brand, the logo, um, developing an online chat facility, or something like that. Where you think actually. Why don't you ask a load of customers this, and that'll give you something else? Now that's got nothing to do with customer satisfaction measurement. I think yeah, those exactly. questions have yeah. to be yeah. protected and and sort of non-negotiable to a large degree. But it's not a bad way of engaging naysayers or, or stakeholders that yeah. you want on, on on board. I agree, and we'll talk about the length of the questionnaire later on. One thing I I tend to say to clients is, you know, that list of requirements that's sacrosanct. That's yeah. That's owned by customers, and that's comes from the qualitative research. Yeah. After that, there is some room. Let's say it's two-thirds customers and one-third you. Yeah. You get to decide what happens in that third. And you know, we'll talk about some of the options later on, but, but within reason, anything you want to know as a business from talking to customers, you can put into that the, the third of the questionnaire that's owned by you rather than customers. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, absolutely. I think the other common thing that... that people talk about is really that how do you introduce the questionnaire or the survey and I sometimes get the impression that sort of it's a little bit apologetic are we going to tell people about the survey beforehand don't want to pester them don't want to interrupt they're going to get a survey anyway and I think that's something where you really just have to go back to the reason why you're doing this to make things better for them and all that sort of and flip it on its flip it over and say, well, this is such a good PR opportunity. Of course, we're going to tell people we're doing a survey. It's a really good thing. We're going to say, we're interested in your feedback. We're going to listen to it. We're going to action stuff. Watch this space. We intend to make you more satisfied. And really good, solid PR only sort of helps everything, you know, including response rates. Mm. Um, plus, it gives people a chance to think a little bit about what they're going to say if they're one of the ones that happen to be sampled or contacted and that sort of point of view. I completely agree. I mean, it, it can only be a good thing. And we've talked in, in previous episodes about the importance of introducing the survey you know, prior to, to the interview or the questionnaire itself. Um, there is some work the questionnaire needs to do, I think, to say, I'm, I'm worth taking part in, I'm worth completing. And that might be the first few words that the interviewer says. It might yeah. be the first few words you see on a web page. But it's also some of the subtleties we'll talk about later on in terms of the design of it. Does it look appealing? Does it look easy? Does it look short? Um, so, so the questionnaire has work to do to say, A, I'm, I'm important, but B, I'm not going to be too much of a pain. That's right. I think that goes back to those requirements in terms of if the questionnaire is asking about the things that are important to customers, 
it should be relatively interesting to them rather than asking about things that are important to the organisation. So those additional company-owned questions or organisation-owned questions are probably better towards the end when the respondent is establishing, am I going to finish this? Is this interesting? Oh, it is. It's asking about stuff that I want to tell them about because it matters. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. So the chapter then also talks then about different types of questions, whether it's sort of open, closed, and, and, you know, I don't suppose there's lots of, well, we just won't keep anyone awake if we go into, into it in too much detail. But I think fundamentally, you know, the power of where and when you put the open questions is a really big part of questionnaire design and where you probe. Because questionnaire has only got on a certain amount of of time, really, in terms of how long someone would would spend completing it. What's your feeling in terms of how long do you think a questionnaire length should be? And, and, and let's not think of a tracking survey. Let's yeah. just think of a typical annual survey. I well, the the trite answer is shorter. Um, <laughs> uh, I think the, the the honest answer is probably it slightly depends when you start and stop counting. So I think one of the, the places that can get confusing is are you talking from picking up the phone, saying, hello, it's Stephen Hampshire, or are you t- t- counting from now question one? And those are very, very different. So there's often quite a lot of initial chat and getting warming up and explaining who you are. If you count that in the interview length, then I think you might be talking B2B, 50 to 20 minutes, B2C, 10 to 15 if you don't count that, if you're just counting yeah. the questionnaire as a questionnaire, then you probably knock five minutes yeah. off that. And that chat is essential, whether you're covering this market research or the confidentiality rules or GDPR, that chat mm-hmm. is really quite, you know, is is just vital in, in terms of making sure you, you've got the right people yeah, to do I mean, it in the yeah, right way. On a spectrum from legally to it's just a good <laughs> idea, uh, yeah, there's some stuff you need to cover. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. In terms then, you know, of that questionnaire length, it's thinking it's making it feel like an enjoyable process as well, or a very relevant process. So I I think one of the things that is slightly underestimated is um, having filter questions and routing. Mm. So for example, the only people you really want scoring your complaint handling system are the ones who have experienced your complaint handling system. So whilst you're thinking of the 10 to 15 minutes, there can actually be a lot more sections because you might not be asked about complaint handling. Have you had a problem or complaint mm. in the last six months? No, right, you don't get asked about it, you know, have, you know, in terms of um, the delivery experience or any other things. I think having qualifying questions to see whether people go into different sections and having routing is actually a way of making the questionnaire shorter in time-wise and more accurate. You don't want people scoring stuff they haven't experienced. Price would be a pretty typical one, perhaps in some business-to-business relationships. Is everyone you're going to interview aware of the contract or the value for money? Or is that someone at a senior level and procurement and the operation of people that you're interviewing perhaps, well, just wouldn't really know whether it's value Mm. for money. They would know the operational performance that that you're delivering. Yeah, I I think routing is a big part of it. I think another part of it is, is not being lazy. Quite often, you'll get a, a client asking you to, to find out, you know, what products has this customer bought and, you know, where are they based? And you really ought to know this. 
Why are we putting this in the questionnaire as a question when really it ought to be on your database? Yeah. And, and let's assume that it is, then we can save ourselves a That's, bit of time in the yeah. interview. Why ask a question if you've got the information mm -hmm. or you know or um, already? So, so the typical, I suppose we're starting to talk about the typical structure of a questionnaire would have a, a worded introduction that has the legalities and the encouragement, might actually have a couple of quite nice and easy icebreaker questions. How long have you been a customer? How long have you been in the organisation? Perhaps something like that. But then fundamentally, you're into the requirements, scoring them for satisfaction and then scoring them for importance. And then you're on to these sort of additional questions. In terms of open versus closed questions, where, where, where do you think it's best using those open questions to get more qualitative information coming? Yeah, that's a very um, good question. Uh, and so, an open one. It was an open one, yeah. <laughs> or I could close it and say here, there, or somewhere yeah. else if you want. <laughs> um, so I think, I mean, open questions are, in principle, they're great for customers because they're, they're open-ended. They, they don't have to do the cognitive work of figuring out what the correct answer is. They can just speak. The flip side of that is you then have to do the hard work of figuring out what their answer is. Uh, you have to code them up if you want to do anything quantitative with them. Um, so for that reason, there's a kind of a tension between getting data that's easy to analyse quantitatively and the kind of insight and richness you get, as well as an easy respondent experience, but by making it an open question. For customer satisfaction measurement, the main place we're going to use open questions is to make sure we understand why people are given a low score. So we're going to probe any low satisfaction. That's probably the first and most obvious answer. Yeah. The other place we'd use it is, is anything where I suppose we're trying to find something out and we don't really know what the range of answers is. So it, it might be, you know, to give sort of two contrasting examples, let's say we want to understand about competitors. You could ask as an open question, you know, which of our competitors do you use? But that's actually not a very good open question because you should know who your competitors are, you should have a list of those. Yeah. So it might be an open question, but with a closed set of responses yeah. that the customer doesn't hear. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so that would be sound open, but not actually be open from a research point of view. Following it up, you might have a, an open question along the lines of, what is it that they do better than we do? Or you know, how, how could we improve competitive? Well, those sorts of things, again, to explore something where we don't really know what the range of answers is going to be yet. Yeah. I think it's really interesting because I think part of probing where people are dissatisfied is that's where the actionability comes. The scores provide you with whether people are satisfied or dissatisfied, but inevitably then when you see what people are or customers are most dissatisfied with, what you want to know is why. Mm. What are they saying that that dissatisfied with? And as questionnaire, and I think one of the things that perhaps the chapter doesn't um, sort of focus on is the involvement of questionnaires, survey by survey, year by year, and you know a year one questionnaire. You've got to go off the exploratory because that's what you've got. But year two and three and subsequent ones, you could, whilst you still have the requirements, you can really start playing without probing. Because if we know we want to action delivery, now let's ask a load of things. Mm. Let's probe all the delivery scores and let's not probe any scores on invoicing because we're not really interested in that. And again, it's using that 10 to 15 minutes at the most valuable it can to really get it. So sort of, plus you know the scores people are going to give, you know where you're coming from, you, you, you know the, re the response rate, the type of people who's going. It's much easier. Questionnaire design year two is a doddle after year, uh, you know, after year one. 
And sometimes one of the things I think is where we've got clients who are really satisfied customers. You read the comments and it's all full of negative stuff because mm. we've only, because <laughs> you tend to probe where people are dissatisfied. And, and this is a very long rambling um, point to sort of get to. Uh, quite often people say, well, can you probe nines and tens why people are satisfied? And that doesn't really work so well. It, it, I find it difficult because people say, well, because I'm happy with yeah. proactive. And, and you're asking them to describe why they're, what's happening that's making them happy. And they tend to just say the requirement back to you where it's a lot easier for them to describe what's making them unhappy. Yeah. I think certainly at requirement level, it's yeah. very hard to probe high levels of satisfaction because a lot of the questions on a questionnaire are, are in one way or another sort of given satisfaction maintainers type thing, hygiene factors. Yeah. So really, a 9 out of 10 for product quality, why, why are you giving that a 9 out of 10? Because it's good. Because <laughs> uh, it isn't broken and it, it didn't go wrong. And it, yeah. you know, it, it's a bit like... I suppose it's the, the classics of goalkeeper thing, isn't yeah. it? Like you, you only you can only make a mistake. You can't yeah. you can't give a reason for yeah. for why they're sort of extra good. Um, that's not always true, but there's yeah. a, it's often true. I think you can probe high satisfaction often at a more overall or a sort of relationship level. Yeah. Or you know, why would, would someone be a promoter rather than a passive if you're using yeah. a, a sort of net promoter yeah. approach? That does yeah. that usually works a little bit better. Yeah. Or what passives need to become to be promoters, that can be quite a useful place. You yeah. know, if you're giving a seven or an eight, what would the organization have to do for you to score a nine or 10? So two thirds of the questionnaire, the requirements, satisfaction, then importance, what do you tend to put in the remaining sort of third? So, I mean, the, 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 there'll be a few different things. I mean, the, the chapter talks about loyalty questions as a sort of catch-all. Um, and and mm. for, for, so you might have the net promoter question in there, you might have, retention in there for example you might have share of spend um, more often in a sort of b2b market i think ease is something that's come onto the radar that probably yeah. since this book was written and that's something that a lot of people want to put in that kind of overall section with things like trust things like relationship things like value and so on and uh, yeah it makes sense to have a, a smallish kind of suite of of those kind of headline relationship health uh, measures one thing the chapter doesn't really talk about, and, and I think is certainly one to think about in a B2B world, is something around competitors. Yeah, or even level of spend going forward. Increase, stay the same, decrease. Why do you say that? Relate that back to requirements. Identify drivers of spend. Or I guess you're going to talk about, you know, the differentiation between yourself and competitors. All that sort of stuff. You're the best of a bad bunch or the worst of a good bunch. Yeah, and there can be a trap um, with that sometimes. Uh, but I think it is it's something that often gets, again, often in year one, actually, it, it's very good for a B2B company to say, look, customer satisfaction is in a sort of competitive context. Right yeah, definitely. And to understand you know, who is seen as being the best. And why. And why. Yeah. Uh, and you know, what are the relative strengths and weaknesses? And if you can start to link that to to spend, you know, share of spend, and probably you know future spend, then that can really start to get people's attention in a way that 
if anyone is still thinking satisfaction is a soft, fluffy, nice to have, that that can really help to evidence the fact that it isn't. Yeah, absolutely. What about things like um, a little bit of customer journey mapping or the perfect customer experience? I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, yeah, I had a big notes to myself that, in a way, I think this chapter assumes a model which is essentially the sort of classic annual relationship survey. And interestingly, later in the book, it'll talk about customer experience modeling, um, which relates to to what you're saying about the perfect experience. Um, So I do think there's a very important difference between, as you alluded to before, a relationship style satisfaction survey and a transactional event-driven satisfaction survey. So for me, an event-driven survey is much shorter, uh, much more focused on specific concrete things rather yeah. than, or as well as scores out of 10. Yeah. Uh, so did this happen? Did that happen? Yes, Was no, it delivery yes, on no, time yes, and so yeah. forth? And that that should also come from exploratory research. And customer journey mapping is a really good way to do that kind of exploratory yeah. research around a specific experience. Yeah. I think another reason if the questionnaire design is good and the exploratory research has been done well, even at that exploratory stage, you're probably getting a little bit of a sense as to what's going to come out of it. Is it going to be, is it going to be something about the staff, or d- deliveries will be an obvious one, or, or complaint handling, which even in year one you might want to say, hold on, I'm pretty sure we're going to get something coming out in this area. So let's just have the beginning of a customer journey, perhaps three or four yes/no close questions, as you're suggesting. A lot easier in year two when you know what's come out to really put a customer journey map section in there. And I mention that because sometimes a customer journey map is quite prominent at the moment, sexy. We want some customer journey maps. Definitely really good idea. You know, we, and especially you, spend an awful lot of time doing them. But you probably want to do them on things that make a difference. Mm. Things that are important to customers and where you know they have moments of truth or moments of misery within them than just perhaps randomly picking some processes to have them on. Yeah, well, I think that... that the word process is the key there, isn't it? I think it's very common for organisations to approach journey mapping with a process hat on. And I think that's, it's natural, it's understandable, but it, it shows that they're inherently slightly coming at it from the wrong angle, the lens of the organisation angle. Because customers don't go through processes, they... Do we have experiences? They, go, they have an experience, yeah, they go on a journey. The example I always give is there's yeah. no such thing as the mortgage application journey. Um, there's a mortgage application process if you're a bank, yeah. but there's a buying a house journey if you're a customer, <laughs> and those are very different things. Absolutely, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's really good. It's a really good you know example, and yeah, when you think of them immediately, you can think of completely different levels of emotion going on, and yeah, internal feelings completely different. Yeah. Uh, you know, absolutely, absolutely. So there's probably some things in the additional, um, the additional sort of um, questions. And if you do want to pick up some demographics to help your sort of segments, that's usually a, a decent place to you know to do it at the end. At if the you end don't already question. know, yeah, 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 you know, absolutely. Probably just a little bit on questionnaire wording and questionnaire um, design, and we probably all do this where we pick up a questionnaire in any restaurant mm-hmm. or or hotel or wherever you're getting some feedback and it probably it doesn't surprise me because i'm used to it it is how many flaws there are in it whether it's ambiguous questions 
How um, friendly and helpful was that member of staff? Or which one do you want me to score friendliness or helpful? Because they were friendly but very unhelpful or vice versa. Or bias rating scales, which tend to be much more positively skewed, ensuring that people either on purpose or perhaps accidentally get more positive results <laughs> than they should have. But there's a lot of things in the chapter on that and there's a lot of good stuff that you know the MRS does you know itself in making sure that the measurement is accurate and mention that because it is one of those things where with the best of intentions it's quite easy to skew questions unintentionally absolutely and that yeah the chapter goes into loads of detail as you say about question wording and so on my favorite bit actually was quite early on in the chapter where it, it just talks about the idea that we are trying to measure customer perceptions, not reality. Um, and I, I won't go into the whole perception is reality thing yet again, but that is the object of the yeah, exercise. We haven't done it for a week or two. Exactly. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so, the, so what the chapter says here, which I think is gr brilliant, is the questionnaire should focus on eliciting customers' genuine opinions and should definitely not attempt to lead them by providing information about the organisation's actual performance, for example. Yeah. And that's really, really common. That's good, that, yeah. Because what organisations will often do is put a little reminder in the questionnaire of what we do and then ask customers about it uh, because that helps them to get it right. Yeah. But that's not the object of the exercise. We don't want to help customers get it right. We want to understand what how do think. customers out there in the world understand this to be. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. And equally, giving them the answers or the options with answers to explain that so a other pretty common um, fault is, you know, if you were giving customers a choice of which to prefer this or that, to give them the option of, well, neither, or I don't know, I'm unsure. Yeah, every question should really have on it, I don't know, I'm sure. And this macho idea, well, we want to force an answer out of them. They've got to decide whether they prefer red or brown sauce, which is their favorite, because we want to know what to put on the table. You know, if you don't give them the option to say, well, I'm not bothered or I don't know, they will go to one of the answers, which isn't what they feel. And it is true to say, I don't know, I'm not sure. I prefer red sauce on sausages, brown sauce on bacon. So it, it's... Yeah. It, it always amuses me how, if you come at a questionnaire like a customer, as a customer will, whenever you read it and think, well, there's no option here for me. Nothing, either I'm being forced into something where I actually... It depends. Yeah. It's quite often the answer. Yeah. Do I like red sauce or brown sauce? Am I having a sausage butty or a bacon butty? It depends. Yeah. Um, so that those kind of things are common and frustrating for customers. I think the other thing is is, is the kind of wishful thinking of how customers view the world instead of reality. And it, you get this a lot in brand research. Is kind of which of these brands of toothpaste most make you feel a sense of you know family allegiance? Like it's toothpaste. <laughs> no, no, no. It's just, you yeah. have to. They have to reflect how real people really think about the world. We've done some stuff with some utility companies who who wanted to go down that route. And you can see the intention, you can see the angle it's coming from, but it's a supplier of a utility commodity. When I turn the switch on or the tap on, mm. I just want the product there. I'm not really trying to form a relationship with them on a personal level. Yeah. It just doesn't really work. Yeah. No, and, and you know, if your list of, you know, why did you buy this toothpaste? What if one of the options isn't because it was on offer? 
then yeah. you're not realistically reflecting how customers actually buy stuff. Um, and, you know, that, that is by no means limited to toothpaste. I don't want anyone to think I'm beating up on toothpaste. But it, it, the idea is that the questionnaire should allow customers to express how they really feel, how normal, real people actually yeah. think about the world. Yeah. In terms of questionnaire sort of design, um, keep in mind we're based in Yorkshire, so we don't do an awful lot for free. But if anyone would like us to review the questionnaire that they use, we do a lot of this, and it's always really quite good fun reviewing someone's questionnaire. <laughs> um, usually has a lot of red pen on it and things like that. But again, there are some common pitfalls that people make. If you are interested in us doing a review of your questionnaire, honestly, just get in contact with us and we'll come back with um, constructive ideas in terms of what could perhaps make it more balanced, accurate, actionable, and those sort of things. Um, the final bit that the chapter sort of goes on about is, is piloting the questionnaire mm. um, and what a good idea that is <laughs> and often overlooked in the immediacy of let's questionnaire agreed, let's get it out there. But just having that, hold on, let's check it's working, let's check it's eliciting the answers we want that customers are understanding the question. We haven't written the questionnaire in client speak or have acronyms or jargon, which is making it difficult. But particularly with sort of larger um, samples, telephone or especially web, just checking that early doors that the questionnaire is doing what you want it to do. Yeah, uh, it's absolutely a good practice. You need to do, I think, an internal pilot just to make sure the mechanics are working well, so the routing's working properly and so forth. But then, yeah, I think a pilot with customers does very quickly tend to flag up any big issues, either with the database or with customers not understanding a question. Um, and it can also help you understand, let's, let's say you're probing low satisfaction. Are we going to get inundated with comments here because, frankly, we're not very good? Or yeah. are we going to have no comments because, actually, we're really good? So it can help you just fine-tune the questionnaire a little bit as well as catch any problems. Yeah, yeah that's a really good thing. If, if you, know, you don't want lots of comments saying the same, but then you don't want no comments and, and just being able to alter it from that point of view. Um, so I think that's really bringing the chapter to the, the close. Ho hopefully, we've pointed out a couple of errors to not... Uh, make so if you had to review this um, this podcast, even let's use a rating scale. It being excellent, good, or wonderful. What, <laughs> which of those would you well, would I'm, you I'm rate torn it? between excellent and wonderful? Okay, okay, <laughs> okay. Well, thank you very much for listening, everyone. Uh, if you're listening in iTunes, please subscribe, rate, and review us. Uh, and you can get in touch with us if you've got any questions or any observations uh, on Twitter at TLF Research. Uh, or online at tlfresearch.com. And we'll be back next month to do the next chapter that's on basic analysis.